Welcome to Word of Truth. This is Doug Presley. It is uh, 1-8-2023. And we, we're just into a new year. And uh, we're, we're beginning our, or continuing our worship service. We're going to have the thought of the week and prayer. I believe Dave is going to bring us the thought of the week. Go right ahead, Dave. I didn't hear anything. Okay. Isn't it interesting that today that they have Ishmael as the father's son is in Isaac? Circle. Our adherence to God's prayer for the church is just as important to him. We must pay special attention to this distraction God has made for the church and the exclusion of Jewish influence. After all, it is God's plan and purpose for the church, not Israel. We we will certainly never see the wisdom of God's plan if we constantly have an Israel before our eyes. In notice in the thought of the week, we know that God's plan was for Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. I'm sorry, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And how the scripture that we I just read that both religious groups believe that Ishmael was of God's plan, but we know with scripture it was through Isaac, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So sometimes God's plan, we know God's plan works, but we know sometimes through our own inheritance through religion, we make up we make up things believe that it is not 
God sent this part plan. So we, I just thank God that we know that God said work, and we know through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that the plan still stands. So including this, this is what I get through this order of the week. So I'd like to hand this over to the prayer. So we give this to God. Thanks, Dave. <clears throat> Appreciate that. Uh, amen. And um, we're going to open this up for uh, just some, uh, I would say morning prayer, but it's now afternoon. Some afternoon prayer. Are there any special requests? All right. <clears throat> if not, I will proceed. Let's, let's bow our heads. Thank you, Father, for this time we have as we approach you this morning, this afternoon. We ask for wisdom as we, we give our thoughts in, in prayer to you, Father, asking for uh, special prayer for those families uh, that are impacted with uh, sickness. And we pray for healing, and Father, we know as we do pray for healing in every case, uh, we know we're, we're praying that your will be done in this matter. And we never know what your will is often, but we trust that your will is perfect and it is going to accomplish exactly what you desire in this world. So, Father, we pray for those who have financial difficulties. We pray for those who are stressed for whatever reason this year, mentally or physically, they have limitations. Father, anything that impacts us or causes us to worry, we are instructed to give that to you so that you will handle those things and that we can continue to keep our focus on you and growing in grace and in knowledge as we look to you for wisdom. So, Father, we, we thank you for uh, the privilege of choosing us in this world and giving us wisdom uh, about our age and, and, and the times in which we live. We thank you for the provisions that have been given to us. The first is that of Christ, the provision where Christ has provided you know, atonement and propitiation for sins and righteousness. And we thank you for the provision of grace where you have called us into this uh, new age that we call church. And we are part of the body of Christ and all of that provision that informs us and enables and equips us for all that you've given us. So, Father, as we continue and launch out into this new year, we pray that you will give us the opportunity to grow in this new age information, this age-appropriate information that is ours. We pray for each person that is under the sound of my voice and anyone who will hear these words, that you, you will continue to help us, challenge us to think beyond our uh, our family, uh, our generational or our religious backgrounds so that you can show us what you have to show us. 
in the word of God regarding our new life in Christ. So we thank you, Father. This is, <clears throat> this is thankfulness is a part of all that we can express for the most part because we know you've done it all. You've given us everything we needed in this life. And, and not only that, an inward testimony, which is ours. All this we ask in Christ's name as we continue to pray for uh, this church and um, Word is Truth, the local church here, and the extended ministries of those who believe in you through the Word of Grace. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So, so we're continuing. We are in the book of John, chapter 17, uh, 17. And if I were to go to the notes, hopefully you have some notes to refer to. Uh, it's been a while since we've been back to John in this review period. But to note, we're, we're going to get right started. We're going to go right into it so that we don't lose any precious time. <clears throat> so I'm in John chapter uh, 17, I'm looking at the notes, and it says, as we have come to the end of this discourse, <clears throat> we have taken time to investigate the words of our Lord. What I find most interesting in this discourse covers a period where we have a dispensational change. Jesus is busy preparing the disciples for this new age. He did not tell everything there was to tell, he said, quote, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. <clears throat> John 16, 12. Well, Pentecost came, and we did have major change, just as Jesus prophesied. There were many classic verses, and we got a chance to see them up close and personal. More importantly, my prayer is that we were true to the text in context and correctly handled the word of truth. Let us look at some of the highlights as we, uh, we discussed in chapter 17. So this is <clears throat> just our introduction, but if you skip all the way down the notes, because we covered all this, not to say there's nothing more to say about it, but <laughs> to note, if we say anything more about it, it'll be next year, January 2024, by the time we're done. So we're going to go right to where we left off, and that is John 17, 24 through 26. So we're going to jump right to that point in the notes, and this is where we are. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So that's the end of the discourse. <clears throat> We're going to look at those verses. There's just a few points to consider in each of those phrases in verses uh, 25 and 6 
uh, 24 through 26, that is. So let's look at the first one. Point number one, uh, A, this special glory. This is, I want those who have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory. The glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. This special glory belongs to Christ and the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So the first thought here is when I, what I think about when I see this verse before us, and that it would be verse 24, is there something special about this glory that Christ wants to uh, display? He says, I want them to see my glory. So uh, there's something special about this glory that Christ is, we already know from verse 5, I call it achievement glory. We can't cover everything we already covered, but, you know, we're going to pick up right here. And in this achievement glory, it is not just the achievement of Christ. In other words, he finished the work, uh, the salvation work. Oh, he, he also finished the work God, gave, the Father gave him to do while he was here on earth. But this glory was the Father's plan before time began. And the achievement of it means that Christ and the church would be part of the glory that uh, is is given or or conferred upon us as a result of the Father completing the plan. So that's why I quoted this verse. It talks about the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So God's answer, or God, we don't want to say his answer, but his eternal purpose for all things isn't just about that Christ would come and pay for the sins of the world. That's that's not his eternal purpose. That's a part of it. God would need to do that for people, for sure. But his eternal purpose has to do with us, the church. And what we will be. Well, we can see it by looking at the scriptures, but we cannot fully experience it. Uh, like, I can read this verse, which, which says the church is the body, which is his body, the fullness of him. So when we think about who Christ is, the fullness of him is the plan of the Father. That it, We weren't at this place before time began. We weren't at this place when, when in the beginning there was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. <clears throat> this was a plan. It wasn't the reality. So for God, the fullness of what this plan would be is right here in this verse. It's his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. That expectation for Christ was met by Christ fulfilling the work and the Father calling out those many sons in the glory. So that's something for Christ to say, I want them I want those you have given me. Now notice, it was the Father who planned us to be in Christ. He chose us in him before the creation of the world. The, re- the realization of what that would be would be the glory. God completing his plan. And Christ is saying, I want the church to see it. 
So you know, that is to say, we don't see it now. We don't see the fullness of it. We can talk about glory, but what is going to happen is going to be exceptional. It's going to be outside of anything that ever happened in this world. Because imagine this. When we see creation, that's a big deal. I mean, God showed, showed us creation. But, you know, we, we can't see what the purpose of creation is. Creation is glorious. It's magnanimous, we, we could say. But when God's eternal purpose is seen, it's going to be greater than everything that creation, even the splendor of creation, it's going to be greater. <clears throat> so Christ is saying there's a glory associated with this because it's the Father's eternal purpose for all things. But in the first... For the, the reason he created all things was this. So we're getting ready to see this in, in the words of Christ when he shows it to us. He says, the, he says, I want them you have given me, that's the church, to be with me where I am. So this place where Christ is, this position that he is, we're not just talking about the person of Christ and his deity. We're talking about the person of Christ and his humanity and his deity. Now, it's not just humanity. It's glorified humanity with deity. That's the person of Christ, which is why each one of us must receive our resurrection bodies in order to get the full adoption to sonship. The full adoption to sonship isn't complete with Christ getting, uh, you know, all things. Christ says, all things have been given to me by my father. And he is the adopted son. Well, the fullness of that is not only just Christ getting all of this, but the father now being able to call out those many sons in Christ, where, where they share everything he is and has. So that fills everything in every way. I mean, you could... <clears throat> Is Paul just being superfluous when he talks about such things? Is he just exaggerating the point? Or is he just telling us straight? He's saying, look, this is who we are in Christ. And it is what God had planned from the very beginning of time. So we're moving forward. Point B. When will the world see this glory? And I have Romans 8, 19 through 23. So this is our final coming out when when God reveals what he has been doing what was his eternal purpose in the beginning and I like this verse there are other verses you could use to illustrate this but I have 19 through 23 let's read it for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. Now, now let's just stop for a minute. We, we made this point before. I just have to emphasize it again, just for context. The creation, all creation was, was God, he, he began, he, he started, he created all things, let's just say, for a purpose. And obviously there was frustration. Next verse, for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of him of the one who subjected it in hope. So even though God saw the fall 
as a part of what was bad. And he allowed the creation to be subjected to this frustration and limitations. It was in hope because God had a plan. The hope is not, well, I hope everything works out. The word elpis there is not that. It is absolute confidence. That's what it means. Hope does not mean like potential. Hope means that God is absolutely confident that he is going to do something. So, so it says the creation itself was, was, uh, were, was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. <laughs> you know, God is the one who put the creation in the state that it was in. But he says, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. <clears throat> so two times, two times, what I like about this verse, we could talk about the summation of all things, the conclusion of all things. We could say that, but this verse ties it all together to God's eternal purpose. And guess who he, he references? The children of God, both in verse 19 the creation waits in eager expectation for the, the children of God to be revealed. There it is. And then in verse 21, the, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. So we are at the center of God's eternal purpose. And when God finally says, okay, it's done, and let me show you what I've been working on all these millennia. And he shows us off. He brings us forward to show what he wanted. Now, do we know what that glory is? No, because Christ said, he's trying to, he, he says, when I get there, Father, I'm, in fact, Christ is already there, but it's not complete yet. But when it is complete, he wants all of us not just some of us, but all of us to be, uh, to be shown this glory. That's what Christ says. I want, I want them to see it. This was what it was all about. This, was the, the, this is what we labored and worked for all this time, is to get to this point where we're able to do this. So that's when we will see the glory. Oh, <clears throat> not only so, this is verse Romans 8, back to the... 22 says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await, we eagerly, uh, we wait eagerly, I'm sorry, for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our body. So when we get our resurrection bodies, that's when we know that for the church, the Father's plan is complete. Now, we're not going to be shown off yet. That's coming. But it's going to be at a point where God has completed the church. We're done. There's nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. It is complete. Point C in our notes. This is 1C. How can the creation see this invisible God? All right. And the answer is through Christ and, and his body. <clears throat> so this is all creation will be able to witness and see who God is. 
And that's all creation means rational beings. Now, there is some sort of relationship to the creator and all created things that is not rational in terms of sentient or, you know, cognizance. We're talking about nature responds to God. The, the, the creation itself responds to God. So it's not just God saying, oh, I'm going to show all rational beings who, who I am. But the creator stands at the hub of its creation. So God didn't just create the creation and say, go ahead, creation, do, it, do your thing, whatever. I'm going to be over here. You can be over there. No, God created all things and has been a part of it, maintaining and supporting it since its inception. So we know, <clears throat> and point C, we're, we're talking about the invisible God. I'm just going to turn to Colossians chapter 1 for this. Uh, we'll quickly read it. I know we covered this already, but we'll, we'll just read it again. Colossians 1, 15 through, here it is. I'll read. Uh, here we go. The Son is, now when we say the Son, we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ here, is the image of the invisible God. So when we say Son here, we're not just talking about Jesus, <clears throat> you know, when he was walking the earth. We're talking about the person of Christ who was also invisible. Uh, you couldn't see who, this, who the word was. All things were created by him, and without him was not one thing made. We're going to get into that in a second. But So when we say son here, we're not just talking about the word. We're not just talking about the humanity of Christ. We're talking about the person of Christ. And so, so some of the things that allow us to see who he is has to do with the role that he has. So what is the role? The son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. So the image of the invisible God. <clears throat> if I go back to the notes and I go to point C, how can the creation see this invisible God? Well, it's through the Christ and his body. So when we say <clears throat> that the cre all creation will be able to experience God in a different way, that's big. God is invisible. You can't see God. You can't look over uh, west or east and say, there's God. <clears throat> you can't because he, he's too big for that. He's, he's too magnanimous. He's, he's transcendent. God is everywhere. We, all of us, and in fact, the universe exists in God. And if we look at the universe, wow, we can't even see, I don't know if we were to put a percentage on it. I don't even know what percent, a, a point oh 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 one percent of what we see is the universe. We can't even say that because then that would tell us that the universe, if we just added all that up, then we, we would be able to scale the universe. We can't scale. We don't even know how. People are saying the universe is infinite, but the universe is not infinite. It's finite. There is an end to what God has created when we, we talk about the universe. It's a created thing. God is infinite. 
in terms of his transcendence. You, you can't figure out the end of God. Everything exists in God. So, so this, this whole thought of the Christ is the visible image. In other words, the exact representation of the being of God, but visibly now. So when we say God's eternal purpose, this verse is very prominent in my mind when we think about what God's eternal purpose was. Because if his purpose was to create the Son, which is the Father's plan for the person of Christ, his purpose was to create the Son, but the Son, if we were to say, break it down, the Son has the body of Christ, right? which is his body, the fullness of him. Right? The fullness of him is equal to the Son. The Son is the image of the invisible God. So if you were to say, who is this God? <clears throat> what is he like? What embodies God? We could look at the Son. We're not just talking about the man who walked the streets of Galilee. We're talking about the person. And this is the, the ultimate eternal purpose of God. And he embodies everything that God is. So this says the purpose, the eternal purpose of God has, has this thought in mind that God would reveal himself, this invisible God that can't be bottled up. <clears throat> so Psalm 39, well, 139, I believe it is. I could be wrong, but it says, where can we go to flee the presence of God? If we go to the highest heavens, God is there. If we go to the depths of the sea, this is the bounds of what people might know. And, and he says, even there, <clears throat> we can't get away from God. God is, he's everywhere present is the theological term that we try to use to describe transcendence. And yet, the sun is the image of the invisible God. This is the eternal purpose of God in a nutshell. And we are at the center of it who share all that the Son is. We, are, we play the role that is before us here. This is unique. I'm adding, yes, I'm adding to what we are saying is the eternal purpose of God by looking at these scriptures. And our going through John 17 confirms it. Now look at this. Because we're talking about what is the eternal purpose of God. God wants to be seen. He wants to be visible. But even before we get into <clears throat> what, it, what it is and all the scriptures are there, and I know time is, I'm not even going to say time is of the essence because we're trying to hash out these things and I think it's important. But for somebody to declare that the Son is the image of the invisible God. And this is God himself declaring that this is the means by which I can be seen. This is the means by which I want not only to be seen, visible, but it speaks of that God is satisfied that this is a perfect representation of who he is. And I would say it this way. I can't think of anybody who is in the world today, 
that can perfectly represent who I am on the inside. Now, of course, we all have <clears throat> some corruption on the inside because of the sin nature. Every one of us. I mean, it's ugly, right? If you were to dig down into who we are inside, we might say, well, I don't want that to be seen. But when it comes to God, who is righteous and eternal and all these things, we want to know who he is. He's good. He didn't have any skeletons in his closet like we might. So for God to say that this image that he created, that this was his eternal purpose, that this image perfectly gets me. It perfectly represents who I am. And this is what I want you to know about who I am. And I'm going to illustrate it. I'm going to demonstrate it through the sun. He's the image of the invisible God. Now, as, as I said, we understand who Son is. We already talked about that in the previous uh, points to make. He is the firstborn over all creation. What does it mean, firstborn? He is preeminent over creation. He has the absolute authority. Why? Because he created all things. And he's getting ready to explain what it means this word firstborn, protokatos, right? He's going to explain what it means in the next couple of verses. So if you didn't know, well, what does that verse mean? What, is, what does he mean, firstborn? He explains it if you just listen up in the next couple of verses. He just explains it. For in him, all things were created. And that's what it means. This is the person who is the source of all creation. It just happens that the the Word of God, the Son of God, the the uh, you know the person that we know in John one one where it talks about all things were created through through Him and without Him there was not one thing made that has been made. John one three. So we know this person created all things, but He didn't have a body. Then he didn't have visibility, but in verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh. What is that? The incarnation. He took on a human nature and made his dwelling among us. So I'm expanding this thought to say God has an eternal purpose that goes beyond bringing many sons into glory. It is to become visible to all rational beings. So this, this is what it says. Let's keep going. For in him, in Christ, all things were created. That's, <clears throat> we, we could say in Christ because we know this. it was even before he took on a body. But when he said the son here in verse 15, it is past all of that. We're not talking about Christ in his pre-incarnate. Uh, he's talking about collectively who Christ became, which is satisfaction of the Father's eternal purpose. Okay, let's keep going. I can't emphasize that point enough because it's important. 16, for in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth and visible and invisible. Whether When we go through all of this, it is to say nothing was created that he didn't make. And by the way, to JWs out there, he did not create himself. That is an absurd thought. 
but yet <clears throat> that's what they say. So all things have been created through him. Look at this. And for him. Key verses. Key verses. Because you know what that verse ties to? The sun is the image of the invisible God. That's what it ties to. All things are created through him and for him. He is before all things. Now, so when we think about the sun, just think about this now. Just hold on. We're part of who that is. When it says the sun, it's not just talking about Christ. He's talking about the body of Christ, which is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. He's talking about us plus him equals the sun. Now, he's going to tell us everything the Son has. And I already told you that we share all that he is and has. So the dignity and honor of the Creator is also a part of the role that we have in Christ. And you will see it mentioned in other places. Well, you shall judge angels. Uh, all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or all things, whether things in present, things to come, to all creation, everything is yours. All things are yours. Well, that's a part of the role that the Son has as, as it relates to creation, all things. So, whether rulers, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created uh, through him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So there is no physical universe apart from this plan. There is no other plan, right? You, you might say, well, God created uh, a bunch of things earlier, but then those things didn't work out, so he decided to create something else, and now we're on the third or fourth iteration of all of that. Wrong. He is before all things, and all things revolve around this purpose, the purpose of the Son. This is the eternal purpose of God. Okay. And he, okay, so all those things we just read <clears throat> are exploits that the Son has or the person of Christ has in his divine nature. And I, like I said, do, do we enter into that? No, we weren't there when he created all things. We weren't there before all things. He's the only one who's before all things and all things hold together. This is the person who did it all. But we now, and when we enter him, right, in terms of in time, we have statements that talk about, well, you shall judge angels and all things are yours. So these are things that relate to the role and dignity and honor that this person has because he's the creator of all things. So we share that. Let's keep going. What else? What else do we share? Who else are, are we and what is our purpose? He is before th all things and all things hold together. 18, and he is the head of the body, the church. There it is. This is the eternal purpose of God displayed for us in a few verses 
I mean, this is just like reading Ephesians 3, 8 through 11, where it talks about, <clears throat> you know, that he might show us the mystery, which, you know, was hidden and past, uh, the unsearchable riches, the eternal purpose of God. This is, this is Colossians' way of uh, saying it, but he adds so much more to what we already know by looking at these verses. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He got his resurrection body. This is how he went through it. So that he might, that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God is pleased, was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Wow. We can see from these verses not only the eternal purpose for the for Christ, but the eternal purpose for the Son when he is complete with the church, his body. This person, the Son, has authority. Every, anywhere there's more than one person, God says there needs to be authority. And in the body of Christ, Christ is the head, we are the body. He has the authority, the rule over all things. We, like I said, who are we? Well, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. We share the role of the Father's eternal purpose that he had for the Son. We share it. We, we didn't do anything. All he did was choose us in him. We didn't earn anything to have all of this. He chose us in him for the creation of the world. So, back. this is not a reward that we get this for, for, for service. This is... Uh, inheritance. We receive it by virtue of the fact that we've been born again in Christ. Okay, so point back to our notes. How can creation see this invisible God through Christ and his body? Point D, you love me before the creation of the world. Evidence of the fact this plan was conceived before creation. Now, why do we need evidence? <clears throat> I'll just stop for a minute, and you might say, well, Doug, what do all these points mean? Why don't we just read the verse? We'd have been done a long time ago. We didn't need a year to go through all of this stuff. What was, why are we going through this? Because people are out there in the world who deny such things, and it's not just for them, but it's for us. We need the detail of how all of this works. And God has given it to us. He's given it to us right there in the scriptures. And the scriptures are evidence of the facts and motivations of God before time began. There's absolutely no way you can know what happened before time began other than to see the revelation of God. God has to tell us. There's no way we could figure it out. He had to tell us, and he's given us evidence. Just by looking at the phrase, the tenor of the conversation uh, between the Father and the Son in prayer gives us so much information, more than we would have ever thought. Yeah, the Spirit really reveals this information to us, but we're seeing it. Watch this through Christ and his body, right? Well, you love me before the creation of the world. And I'm saying 
Just that phrase is evidence of the fact that this plan was conceived before creation. In fact, creation is a result of this plan. So I'm hoping you see that, that why I say that, that creation is evidence. Right? We could say, you love me. And what is Christ talking about? You love me before the creation. Is he just talking about God the Father loves me and I'm loved by the Father? Is he just talking about that? Or is the conversation in context about this whole plan and the church that he, that he uh, began to build at that point? And that he talked about, well, when Pentecost comes, you'll understand it better. When Pen you know, I've heard people say, uh, you know, get the really, they give up. They say, well, we really can't know that much. You know, we don't really want to know that much. And we'll understand it better by and by. When the morning comes, when it's all over, you know, we'll get it then. But right now... Well, we could just be ignorant and go about our own business and our own lives the way we want to and don't have to worry about looking into these things. Uh, we'll understand it better by and by. You know what I used to say about stuff like that? And I've seen where people get to the end of stuff and they're saying, well, why do we need to know all that? Huh? Isn't it enough to just know that Christ came and died for our sins? Yes, it is enough to be saved, but not to come to the full knowledge of the truth, you gotta continue to allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide you. So if you don't, well, then you won't. You won't have it. So this evidence, it, it shows us, it, it, it informs us, it opens us up to the mind and the thoughts of God, which to me are precious. To me, these thoughts are precious. Now, they may not be to everybody. I get that. But to me, I love these words. I love these thoughts. I want to know what God was thinking. I want to know what it's all about. All of that is the spirit within me yearning. So evidence, when I see scriptures like this, you love me before the creation of the world. He didn't just love Christ. He loved the plan before the creation of the world. And we're a part of that. And this is to say that the creation is not the first thought of God. It is the result of this important plan. That's, that's just a few verses, a few thoughts in the, on that verse. Are there more? <laughs> yeah, yeah, we need to look. The more we look at these verses, the more we will see more thoughts about what God has shown us. Let's keep going. Uh, are we have a little? Yeah, we have a little bit more time. Let's go. Point number two, which is verse 25. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. <clears throat> There's a lot of knowing you in, in that verse. Let's just break it down a little bit, see what we can get out of it. Christ is the revelation of the Father, the image of the invisible God, the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So when we talk about know you and I, the world doesn't know you, but I know you, when he says the world, he's talking about 
world at large. Obviously, we could look at that as unbelievers, but really, when the church leaves the world, then the world is going to be filled with believers and unbelievers who belong here. So Jesus is looking past all of that. He already talked about the time before time began. He's talking about the when, when all things are wrapped up, we already showed how he's, I want them to see my glory when it's all said and done. I, I, you know, I want you to give me the glory I had with you before the world began. This, these, this verse says a lot. <clears throat> so in, instead of us just looking at Colossians, I'm trying to expand on this by going also to the verse in Hebrews. It gives us more information. So Hebrews 1, 3, and this is a quote, right? It says, the radiance, Christ is the image of the, not only is he the image of the invisible God, but he's the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So when we look at the revelation that God has for us in the Son, it is exactly what God wants to show of himself. I think I already made this point, but I'm saying it again because we have Hebrews 1.3 now. The exact representation of his being. God, so, so God's eternal purpose who he is, to, you could say, to reveal himself, to show who he is. Now, part of showing who God is is to show his motivations in creation in all things, to realize that he had a purpose in doing all of this. But then he says that we can be assured that when the world gets to see the revelation of God in this fashion, that they are seeing exactly what God wants them to see. They're seeing the heart, the very down to the very being of who God is in this revelation. God is being trans as transparent as he can possibly be in this revelation. Now, we can't do that because we would be afraid. As I said, we got skeletons in our closet, but God does not. But there are limitations to how God reveals himself. He cannot just say, well, let me just tell everybody. Well, forget about the church. I'm just going to tell everybody because of his righteousness and how he had to protect that righteousness and giving people opportunity to want to hear who, who he is and all of that. There's, there's limitations. He didn't just reveal this information. Like he told the disciples, I have much more to tell you, more than you can now bear. He does allow the Spirit to reveal that information to us through these means. It is a complete revelation. It is sufficient. It is God over giving to of himself more than we would have imagined or asked for. This information is coming directly from the heart of God every created being. Now, when I say to every created being, first to the church. Now, this is interesting. First to the church. So God wants us to know this information first 
And then we become part of the revelation of God to all created beings. Isn't that interesting? He said the same thing when it came to Israel. He says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. And then he said, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. Well, this information, first for the church, first we get this information, and then the whole world will get it through the Son. So we have that revelation. We have God's best foot forward. Well, he doesn't have a, a back foot that's somehow club or something. He has, his best foot forward is, the, is everything he is. And it's the exact representation of his being. That's Hebrews 1.3. And point B, the world does not know the Father. And when we say that they don't know the Father, what we're saying is they don't know the eternal purpose. But they're going to get it. They're going to see all that God had planned, all that it all works out. It won't be a mystery like God hid this within himself before time began. It won't be any of that. God will reveal himself to all creation. He won't be invisible anymore, even though he still, his nature won't change. In other words, he still will be transcendent in all the stuff we talked about. But he will be condensed to where all creation can see who he is, exactly who he is. Not just, well, there, there is God. He's over there. Nope. They'll see what he is and what he is all about. His motivations, his thoughts, his intentions in all creation. They will get a chance to fully realize I mean, apart from all the foolishness of idolatry and all the things that man has come up with prior to this age and Gentiles and being justified, all of things will be pushed aside and God will eventually be able to say, here I am. So we're going to have to stop at this point. But we have a little bit more to cover, and um, I'm going to confidently try to say we'll try to do it next week, but uh, I'm not in a rush, and I'm letting you know that it's important that, that we get these things out there, that we need to say these things so that we can think about what God has shown us in the world. Let's just, this is what we could say is meditating on the word. Let's take our time to do that. So we're going to end this, but next week we'll be right back, God willing, to continue this thought. Let's bow our heads as we close. Thank you, Father, for this time. We thank you for the revelation, your eternal purpose, which you have shared with us. That More than that, that we are a part of. We thank you for each person under the sound of my voice who also is a part of your eternal purpose. And Father, as we realize this information. We pray that we will have the sufficient uh, humility to not only understand it, but to crave it even more. To come to understand your eternal purpose is to understand who we are as well. And not who we are in Adam, but who we are 
in Christ. We thank you for this revelation. We thank you for this church where we're able to talk about these things freely. And, 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 and we pray, Father, that we will have the impact in this world as ambassadors that you desire. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.